This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. We're going to talk about defensemen here in a couple of seconds, whether it's uh, Eric Carlson, whether it's Josh Morrissey as well. Might want to throw in John Klingberg as well. I do wonder about him and the Winnipeg Jets. We'll see. Um, but I also want to talk about Timo Meyer and the value that he would bring to the fill-in-the-blanks. St. Louis Blues, New Jersey Devils, Carolina Hurricanes. Dare we throw a wild card in there like the Detroit Red Wings? Dun, 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 dun. Mike Kelly joins me now from the NHL Network and Sport Logic. Mike, how are you today, pal? Hey, Jeff. I'm doing very well, thank you. Fun time of year. Yeah, uh, it really is, and it's it's an interesting time of year for for someone like you who understands um, what a player's true value is and can analyze what the value is and what teams are looking for and whether there's a redundancy and that's why they don't look for that player or there's a legitimate need. Like I'm of the mind that I look around the NHL and I look at Timo Meyer and I say big, strong, skilled, new age power forward, etc. Everybody needs a player like that, right, Mike Kelly? Is that true? Can everybody use in the NHL right now a player like Timo Meyer? Absolutely. And I agree with you that I think you're, you're talking about a couple different things, whether it's adding a player who can fit anywhere, like a Timo Meyer, or um, you're looking for more of that puzzle piece kind of guy. And a puzzle piece, I, I think back to last year. I, I thought, you know, Arturi Lekkanen, was such a good ad for a Colorado team that is so skilled, but just a guy who's great puck recoveries, great defensive stick, disrupting plays, setting up the skill guys, and who can obviously score a little bit. Um, Cogliano brought such value to that team in terms of what he did in the locker room, what he meant to that team. So it's not just the big-name guys, but yeah, Timo Meyer. I'll give you a perfect example, yeah. right? Two teams that we've heard him link to, New Jersey and Carolina. You'd be hard-pressed to find yep. two teams that play so differently, but are both very, very good. New Jersey is speed, 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 up and down. Carolina is the most dump and chase, aggressive four-check team that you'll find. He fits in both ways perfectly, right? He's, he's top five in the league, creating shots off the rush, scoring chances. Um, he's a power forward, and he can win those wall battles and, and you know use his size effectively and, and play that four-checking game. So those are two teams he's been linked to. He's a perfect fit for either one. He's a perfect fit for anybody. You know, and and someone like him as well. We've talked about you know when players emerge for certain for certain teams, uh, and it very much seems to me like Timo Meyer is that he's that Mike. He's that classic final piece of a puzzle for a team. He's not the starting block, but he's that final piece. It's like I look at New Jersey for example, and I say, listen, they have strength down the middle with Hughes with Heischer. They're both on the smaller side. The entire team is kind of all on the, the smaller side, certainly in their top nine up front. I say that's the fit right there, but that's that piece you bring in at the end. Like I keep coming back, and I think a lot of us do. We keep circling back with the New Jersey Devils. One, there's the need. Two, when you look at the prospect pool, the draft pick pool all of it i don't know and maybe st louis might you know quibble with this one i don't know that there's a team out there that can offer as much as new jersey can in exchange for mm-hmm. Timo meyer from the san jose sharks agree or disagree on that one i know that the st louis blues have entered the chat on everybody now picking up all the first round picks but your thoughts on the idea that no one can knock new jersey out of the box on this one if new jersey wants it uh, you know, L.A.'s got a lot of prospects, right, and good young players, um, but haven't really heard their their name around him as much. So yeah. I, I think 
I think you're probably right out of the teams that, that we've been hearing a lot about. Um, could be New Jersey. For, certainly, uh, they have great young players and, and, and prospects. And, and it is a good fit, like you say. And, you know, we've talked about the Metro being the beast division all season, right? But yes. at the same yeah. time, um, you can poke holes in a lot of teams in the Metropolitan Division. And in some ways, like, I think it's, it's harder to do that with the top three in the Atlantic than it is, you know, we've seen the Rangers give Carolina fits with their speed this season. We've seen Carolina give teams fits with mm-hmm. their, you know, aggressive play and, and, and depth and all that. Um, New Jersey's really fast, but can you push them into a different type of game where maybe they're not as successful? So it could be a little open in that sense. And yeah, I, I think it's real scary if the, because that's the thing, if the devils get Meyer, that means that the hurricanes don't and vice versa. Um, so, you know, you're, yeah. you're not only adding, but you're subtracting from somebody else that you're competing with. Anybody in the Western conference care to compete here? Like, that's the thing. Like if New Jersey ends up with them or Carolina, Carolina ends up with them. Like I, this is the thing that I keep coming back to my, the West is wide open. With all due respect to Colorado, I know Landeskog is, is back on the ice and he's trying to inch his way back here, but Kel McCars and concussion protocol, comma, again, after the incident with Torbchenko uh, on Saturday. Like, the, the West is, is right there, and if you use trade deadline time as a gauge right now, it doesn't look like anyone in the West wants to jump up and say, you know what, I'm going to bring in the cavalry here because the West is wide open. Whoever comes out of the East is going to be beaten up. It's a octagon there in the Eastern Conference. No one in the West <laughs> seems to want to do anything about this right now. Yeah, well, that's where I wonder if you'll see a kind of a surprise move. Um, you know, Timo Meyer, like, think about Seattle, how he could look there. Um, they're, they're a real balanced team, yeah. but, you know, I think that would be a nice fit. And I agree with you. I think it's totally open. Um, I, I mean, I'll talk about this one, and, and it's, uh, I'm sure it's, it's not really uh, something that's probable. But I look at the Kings, and I look at the Canucks, and I think of Thatcher Demko. And we Same. heard Jim Rutherford say yep. major surgery, right? The Kings have a ton of prospects. They've got the ability to make that happen. And L.A., like, goaltending is important for every team, but there's one thing that I believe is that it's more important for some than others. And I look at the L.A. Kings. I'll give you a couple numbers, and I'm going to do a segment on this on the NHL Network uh, later today where I'll go into some more depth. But the L.A. Kings, uh, one way that I measure the consistency of goaltending is how often do you get a quality start? So that's just a positive goal saved above expected. Your goalie stopped what he should and maybe a little bit more. So the L.A. Kings get Mm -hmm. that in just under a third of their games. That ranks 29th in the league. When they get it, their win percentage is higher than anybody. So that speaks to me of the importance of goaltending for that team, who is an excellent defensive team. You take somebody who is a franchise-caliber goalie and put them on that team, I think they're the favorites to win those two rounds coming out of the Pacific and get to a conference final. Um, And again, the Canucks, I wouldn't trade Thatcher Demko. But if you want to talk about major surgery and a team with prospects, and whether that's Turcott, um, mm-hmm. Spence, go down the list, it's there. Uh, I don't disagree with you. Uh, it's funny. I was having this conversation Saturday, just making phone calls and, and making my rounds for hockey night. And one conversation I was having with someone about the LA Kings, that is the exact name that they put forward. And the point was, that's what LA needs right now. I know you might look at the team and say, hang on, they got quick. They got Copley. They got Cal Peterson. I'm sure they like to get out from under the weight of that contract, but nonetheless. Um, and this person said to me, you know, we keep hearing that LA 
you know, if it's not going to happen with the Jacob Chikrin deal, don't be surprised if they look at Vancouver and turn their attention to Thatcher Demko. And you mentioned Turcotte. You know, whether they have an abundance of, of young defensemen, too. We think of uh, a Sean Dursey, a Sean Walker, a Jordan Spence. Like, there's a lot of ways to make a deal here if the Vancouver yep. Canucks, at this point, want to move off of the. And the other point, he's a California guy. He's a California kid. He had the non-traditional, you, you know, hockey upbringing as well. So it's kind of fits on a few levels here. All right, stick it in California. Oh, boy. Um, where do we begin with Eric Carlson? You know, there were the Edmonton rumors <laughs> from a couple of weeks ago. And, you know, they weren't rumors. Like, those were, were conversations like, how can we make this work? I think that that's one window for Eric Carlson. I think there will be another window that opens up at the end of the season. Maybe a team like the Florida Panthers uh, would be able to jump in at that point on someone like Eric Carlson. But, you know, he's having a great season right now, uh, a great season certainly by his standards, a great season by NHL standards. But give us some historical context here, Mike. When you look at some of the great performances from various defensemen through history, where do you rank this one? Five-on-five, five, that is. Where do you put this Carlson five-on-five five season? Well, it could end up being one of the better ones ever in a, in a few different ways. So, uh, like, look, we, we've seen Paul Coffey, Bobby Orr, these guys rip off 130-plus points, so it's not going to get there. But the thing that I find so impressive with Carlson is uh, he's leading the league in even strength points, and he's averaging almost one a game. It, he's on pace right now to score 81 points at even strength. Here's a list of the yeah. guys who play defense who have scored more ever. Paul Coffey in 86, Bobby Orr in 74, that's it. Yeah. So that's your historical context for what he's doing there. And, you know, I, I've said it at this point of the season, things can change. There's still time. At this point of the season, if he's not first on everybody's Norris ballot, I think that that's borderline criminal. Um, and people may say, well, defensively, it's not an offensive war. What he's doing offensively is so good. It is so good. It washes the rest of it away. And the rest of it is still good. I mean, I look at this guy when he's been on the ice at five on five. The Sharks have 77 goals. They've given up 59. The Sharks, mm-hmm. they're not a great team. Expected goal percentage, 56%. Yeah. Like, it's, it's all there. Um, it, and it reminds me of the 16 season where he didn't win the Norris Trophy. Um, and I think he should have. So I, I hope that uh, the people who are voting on it understand the, the context of what he's doing. The, um, the the best way that I always describe it, too, because I'm with you on Carlson, um, for those that say, oh, you know, he's not, you know, he, he's, he, he leaves you lacking in his own zone, leaves you wanting in his own zone. I always say the same thing. The best way to play defense is to not allow the puck into the defensive zone and keep the puck in the offensive zone. And while you're in the offensive zone do some damage so it doesn't really matter that much what happens in the defensive zone and if that's what you're going to use to to judge the the value of a defenseman eric carlson keeps the puck moving up the ice through the neutral zone in the offensive Mm -hmm. zone does damage when the puck is in the offensive zone one one more defenseman and i do wonder if at the end of you know trade deadline next friday uh march 3rd if we see someone like John Klingberg reunite with Rick Bonus, um, the old, you know, where they're together with the Dallas Stars, you wonder if that could be on the horizon. I do wonder about someone else 
who may be enjoying the quote-unquote the bonus effect, the defense whisperer around the NHL, <laughs> the man that helped turn Victor Hedman into Victor Hedman, uh, and that's Rick Bonus. Describe, and I, listen, I, I'm with you on Eric Carlson and the Norris Trophy, but Josh Morrissey, man, is having a hell of a season. Please explain where this came from, Mike Kelly. Yeah, he sure is. I mean, uh, he talked in the All-Star game about the effect that Rick Bonus has had on him and just kind of allowing him to be the, the, really the player that he is, right? And, you know, Rick Bonus wanted their offense, mm. uh, the defenseman to be more engaged offensively, and, and that plays to the strengths of a guy like Josh Morrissey. So uh, there's no question that that's helped. Uh, what Rick Bonus has done with the team in the defensive zone uh, has helped them defending. Um, you wouldn't know that the way they played against the Rangers the other night, but good thing you got Bucky back there. Mm. Um, but you know what? Josh Morrissey is passing as elite, his skating is, is terrific. Is, is you know, I look at possession success rates, turnover rates. You know how how good you are with the puck. Uh, very good in a lot of different areas. And you know he's aggressive. That's the one thing I've noticed about him. You watch when it comes to holding the blue line if a puck's coming up the wall. Not only will he go down and pinch, but like guys will skate to him and he'll stand at the blue line and still take the puck away from them. It's remarkable just watching how unafraid he is to to make those pressure plays, knowing that you could get caught. Um, but he's helped his team create a lot of offense that way and, and fourth guy in on the rush, that kind of stuff. Uh, really in his wheelhouse, and he's been freed up to do that and having a great year as a result. Great blue line holds. Got about 30 seconds for this one. Probably not enough time, to be honest, Mike, but here I go anyhow. Um, If, and again, it still is an if, if Jacob Chikrin ends up somewhere else, what is that acquiring team getting in Jacob Chikrin? Getting a great skater, getting a guy who's got an elite defensive stick, you're getting a guy who's physical, um, it can win those wall battles. And, and, um, you know, one thing that people may not know about him is he's the only defenseman in the league who ranks top three carrying the puck out with possession, carrying the puck in with possession. Mm -hmm. Um, That puts him in the Yossi Carlson kind of categories, but he does both of those well. Uh, I don't believe, I don't buy in as much to the defensive deficiencies as maybe some other people do. Like nobody's perfect. Um, I think you slot him behind Darnell Nurse in Edmonton. He's just fine. You slot him beside Charlie McAvoy in Boston. He's just fine. If he goes to a contender, he's in your top four. He's insulated. Um, I got a lot of time wow. for Jacob Chicker, and he's a great person as well. I, I, man, if I'm Edmonton, uh, that's where I'm looking. Curious. Uh, should be a few teams. Uh, I, I still think that, you know, L.A., I know Elliot has an interesting theory about the Gavrikov deal affecting maybe a Chikrin deal to the Columbus Blue Jackets. Uh, we mm-hmm. shall see a lot of teams around this one. I think you throw St. Louis into the mix as well. A lot of teams around, and for good reason. Uh, Mike, always a pleasure, man. You enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks so much for parking some time for me today. Anytime, and I love how the sellers are becoming buyers. This makes the whole lead up to deadline day way more interesting <laughs> let's go i know now let's let's get timo meyer to detroit and really spice it up here we go um <laughs> there he is mike kelly from the uh, nhl network and sport logic uh, gotta hit a break hour two's on the horizon greg wasinski from espn and the uh the random player of the day still on the horizon as well oh we're gonna play a clip from our jake allen 32 thoughts interview you're gonna like this one building the perfect goalie the frankenstein monster comes out between the pipes Merrick Show Hour 2 is coming up. Keep it here. Diving deep into Leafs, Raptors, Jays, and NFL. The J.D. Bunkus Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Okay, time to get your goalie geek on. So Jake Allen is an netminder for the Montreal Canadiens. You already knew that. But did you know that he's one of the most thoughtful netminders around the NHL? He is the quintessential goalies goalie. And one of my favorite stories to tell about Jake Allen, and he talks about this in the uh, the interview that Elliot and I did with him last Friday, which you can hear now uh, on our latest 32 Thoughts podcast, is Jake Allen... St. Louis Blues, 2019, Jordan Bennington has the ball. He's running with it en route to the Stanley Cup. And Jake Allen is thinking to himself, well, what can I do as the backup net miter in this situation to help the St. Louis Blues? And the one thing that Allen does so well as a quote-unquote student of the game is he understands patterns and he understands techniques that other goaltenders use and can actually emulate them on the ice. And one of the great things that he was able to do with the St. Louis Blues is practice as Tuka Rask. Study the footwork, study the movement patterns, study the habits. So in practice, St. Louis Blues shooters would think that they were shooting at Tuka Rask and not shooting at Jake Allen. That's the level we're talking about here when it comes to Jake Allen. Like very much when you have a conversation about goaltending with Jake Allen, you realize that when his career is done and he still has lots of hockey to play, but he's staying in the goaltending game in some capacity. This is not a case of I'm keeping the equipment in the trunk or in the garage and it's never coming out. He's always going to be involved in goaltending in some way, shape, or form. So uh, it was with this in the back of my mind that I approached the interview last Friday alongside Elliot Friedman uh, with Jake Allen of the Montreal Canadiens. going to play about seven or eight minutes of this, the entire interview. Uh, the video you can watch tomorrow at our YouTube channel for Sportsnet, uh, but the entire interview you can listen to on the 32 Thoughts podcast at your favorite podcast catcher. Here is Jake Allen of the Montreal Canadiens. Enjoy. Build the goalie. Build the goalie. Your reputation is, you know, the goalie's goalie, the student of the game, the 24-7, the goalie lifer. Build for me the world's best goalie. Which goalie's glove? Which goalie's blocker? Which goalie's movement? Which goalie's stick? Which goalie's lower body movement? Build for us the perfect goaltender. Okay, the perfect goalie. Can it be from any different eras? Era? Any, okay. any era. It the, today. This is a blank sheet of paper for you. All right. We'll start off with Pricer skating ability. We'll go with Shesterkin's hips. His hip mobility, his width, his skating mobility within this crease around his post. Mm-hmm. Pecorini's glove. Mari Berdur's way to read the game, understand the game. You know, I think he's a guy that didn't face many shots, but he made the saves when he had to make. Mm-hmm. You know, I heard a lot of that, but that before my time about Grant Fear as well. You know, in, in Edmonton when he won those cups, you know, made the saves that he had to do, and it's probably the hardest thing to do in hockey. Patrick was competitiveness battle. Dominic Asics way to be unorthodox but effective. Mike Smith's puck handling, and uh, Ben Bishop size. Who, if you were going to pick one goaltender? To score a goal, who's the guy? Myself. I know you. No, I know this is uh, a big one. I'm going to get there because I know it's yeah, a big yeah. one for you. Um, and again, any era? Any yeah. era. Any era. When I first think about that, a goalie scoring goal, Josie Theodore, for some reason, when that th- thought came to my head. Okay. But uh, I'd have to say Marty. 
again too. Mm-hmm. He had that poise outside of the crease that not many guys have. And it's really a thing as a goalie, you're, you're out of your element, you're out of your net. Some guys have that calmness to the puck. Some yeah. guys don't. Pricer had that calmness. Mike Smith had the ability to make a quick play, but Marty just, he had that ability. Do you have the green light to shoot to score on an empty <laughs> net? And if not, is there going to come a time in your career where you just say, I got to check this box, man. I got to do it. Yeah, the box has to be checked. That is one of my goals, <laughs> no question. You know, I think Marty would be all for it. It's a lot easier with a two-goal lead, but, uh, you know, there's definitely going to be a time and place where I'm going to try in the next few years. So so here's here's a few things that I'm really curious about. When I mentioned building the perfect goaltender and you understanding different styles, uh, the 2019 story about you working with your goalie coach, helping your team, and one of the great quiet stories around that St. Louis Blues run was how much work you did essentially emulating Tuka Rask to help your shooters. What can you tell us about that run? And essentially, not just being a goaltender, but also being an actor, playing the part of Tuka Rask. Yeah, as we mentioned before, you know, Tuka was on such a run in that playoffs. You know, he was the best goalie in the playoffs, the best numbers anyway up until that point. And we knew we had our hands full with him. And with Dave Alexander, a goalie coach for me for the Blues, you know, he worked on goal scoring a lot with the team. And he mm-hmm. still does and how to score goals and where goals are coming from and, and this and that. And, you know, I, I want to be a part of it. You know, obviously I was sitting on the sidelines and I needed to find a way to contribute. And I, mm-hmm. I just said, how do we take this to the next level? You know, and and we both thought goaltending the same way and sort of understood goalies. And, you know, we understood a few things about Tuka where he said, oh, maybe this can work. Or maybe the guys could take advantage of this here and there. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, any of it helped, I don't know. But what were those things? You know, it was just about foot placement in the crease on certain sides of the net where majority of his goals were going in. His stance position was a lot different. He was so successful throughout his career and his stance. And I think mm-hmm. he he just took up so much net in such a calm, precise manner that it didn't look like there was net, but you could find ways to make the net bigger, I guess, if you want to put it that way. So we were just, I was just trying to emulate his stance in certain positions of the game, you know, how he moved laterally, how he played on his posts. He was very good at post play, but I always had kept his pads inside the post where a lot of guys now are feet on posts. And Mm -hmm. um, just little things like that. It said, maybe this will help us get a goal. And maybe that goal will, change a series or win a game or or get us back in a game. So it looked, it was just me and Dave trying to find a way for myself to contribute. And that's it. We talked a lot this year about Connor Hellebuck mm-hmm. and his situation against Dallas. And we talked about Ottinger and trying to pull off the mask a couple of different times. I think a lot of us have wondered, and you're really qualified to talk about this because you think about things like this. Is there anything that can be done to the way masks are designed that we could satisfy everybody in this debate? Yeah, that's a really good question. I've been in the same situation as those guys. I got a penalty for it last year. So I've I've been through it. I've seen it. I've stopped a puck without a helmet on in the league before. But yeah, there needs to be something. But at the same time, the mask has been generally the same since the early 90s, really. Yeah. You know, it's that you get the plastic straps on the side and on the top and down by your chin. And there's really not much besides the actual mask itself that's gotten beefier and more protective for the head. Like the strapping Mm -hmm. has been the same. And I, I've thought about it a million times. You'd have to sit down with a CCM or a Bauer and and really go to the plant and design something that 
can make it different because I understand it. the pucks are coming so fast now that it's not just a shot off the buckle. If you get a puck in a, directly in the chin or in the yeah. face, it pushes the mask up, which pops the strap off, which tilts your mask sideways. And sometimes you can't see and reasoning for mask coming off and, and things like that. So I think there has to be definitely something done. I, I can't give you a specific answer. I think that would probably take probably a group of goalies sitting down with maybe a few manufacturers and seeing what their thoughts would be behind that and saying, okay, can we propose this? Can we propose that? Can this happen? Can that happen? And if it can't, can't, but it seems like there's always a solution to most problems in today's world. So uh, I think there's definitely got to be something done. And it's unfortunate because when it happens in a game, generally there's a scoring chance imminent around it. So what's the right thing to do? I understand there's the safety of a goalie. I'm very pro goalie. You got to be safety of it, but... You know, there's certain times where it's certain discrepancies from different referees, mm-hmm. and I think they have the hardest job in hockey right now. So it's a tough spot to be in. One of the most thoughtful goaltenders you will hear from, Jake Allen of the Montreal Canadiens. Uh, the full interview available at the 32 Thoughts podcast right now. Um, the video of the interview uh, will be available Thursday at our Sportsnet YouTube channel. Matt Marchese, our producer, is aboard. As we, do we have time here for the uh, the random player of the day? I want to make sure we uh, we get these in as often as I know we try to do them at the top of minutes. the second hour, but wish and everything. We got four. Okay, what do we got for Rando today? So our random random. player of the day is Bert Olmstead, former Montreal Canadian, former Toronto Maple Leaf. And this one was sent in by Pam Callow, who wanted to know more about Bert Olmstead because they went to school with uh, the nieces and nephews of Bert Olmstead. Okay, well, um, was part of a line that I just love the the nickname of. These have such creative nicknames for line, the Boilermaker line with Chicago. Metro Priestai and Bep Quidlin on that line traded... Um, to the Montreal Canadiens, and we talk so much about Zach Hyman having done something great in a previous lifetime. Um, so he's rewarded now by playing with A, Austin Matthews, and then Connor McDavid. Think about what Bert Olmsten did with the Montreal Canadiens. He gets there, and they put him on a line. He replaces Toe Blake, plays with Rocket Richard and Elmer Locke, and then later ends up playing on a line with Jean Beliveau and Bernie Boom Boom Jeffreyon. So yes, he played with... The Rocket on a line, and he played with Jean Beliveau, um, one of the greatest and one of my favorite of all time. Um, there was nothing that was really outstanding about Olmstead. He was a big body checker, um, really aggressive and, and hitter, but he was just a really smart player. And he was kind of like everybody else, but just that little bit better. Um, knee issues dogged him with the Montreal Canadiens. He won four Stanley Cups with them. Uh, was placed in the intra-league draft, picked up by the Toronto Maple Leafs, and he won uh, one more Stanley Cup with them in 1962. He became a player assistant coach with the Maple Leafs. Uh, the Leafs put him available for the intra-league draft. The Rangers claimed him, but Olmstead said, that's it. I'm done. Now, he was offered two teams to coach, um, the Los Angeles Kings coming out of expansion and the California Seals. Uh, He chose the Seals but didn't even last the season, and that was it. And stop me, Maddie, if you've heard this one before. It sounds very much like politics and petty feuds kept him out of the Hockey Hall of Fame and didn't get induction until 1985. That has happened over the years to a number of different people, and I think about Pat Burns, and I think I'm pretty sure I know the two people that have kept him out or that did keep him out for the longest time. I just can't prove it. 
Um, but it has happened in the past with the Hall of Fame. Um, he had an eight-point night, much like Rocket Richard. His eight-point night happened with the Habs in 1954. Richard's happened in 45. Sittler broke both of their records in 1976. And here's something, trivia note for you. He um part of a record, which is the quickest penalty shot awarded at the beginning of a game, 12 seconds, New Year's Day, 1952 against Chicago. Jimmy Peters hauls Olmstead down. Now, the rule at the time was any player on the ice was available for that penalty shot, so Olmstead didn't take the shot. Rocket Richard did. Uh, the final was 3 nothing, and also that became the quickest game-winning goal in Habs history. The hard-hitting five-time Stanley Cup champion Burt Olmstead, today's random player of the day. Uh, JM Show at sportsnet.ca to nominate your player of the day random style. Whichever one comes to your mind, send it in. Uh, want to go over a couple of them on Friday because got some really good follow-ups as well. But we're heavy on time, so I want to thank some people. Greg Wyshynski from ESPN, Mike Kelly from the NHL Network and Sport Logic, Elliot Friedman from Hockey Nights, Jen Rolnick, our operator, uh, handles the cameras, makes it look good, Lance Kennedy makes it sound tasty, and Matt Marchese puts a ribbon on it and ties it all together. And thanks to you for listening. Thanks to you for watching. Merrick Show back tomorrow at noon Eastern. Jets and the Islanders tonight. Scotiabank Wednesday Night Hockey. Enjoy. Enjoy.